Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Hello, welcome to the Ghost of Harrenhal. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 70 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today, we're discussing chapter 69 of A Game of Thrones. That's Tyrion 9. So here's the deal. We're going to chat about the chapter. We're going to try not to spoily... Um, spoily? We're not going to spoily any future plot points for you. And hopefully, we're going to provide you with some entertainment while we do this. We'll summarize what's happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some reader mail. Be sure to check out the show notes. They'll help you particularly if you're not reading along with us. How are you, McKelly? Better today. (laughs) (laughs) Why are we recording a day late, McKelly? I needed a day of mourning after the uh, embarrassing debacle that the Steelers uh, put on Monday afternoon at between 5 and 8.30 p.m. For listeners in the future, um, this is a complicated story to retell because it involves COVID and football and things like that but basically the Steelers were on for a perfect season until they lost yes yes. in prime time for all to see against a four and seven team Mm -hmm. but you know the the uh, Washington football team did get 10 days to prepare and plan for a Steelers uh, game and the Steelers had four days to cobble something together for a game against the that's Washington football team. Right. But no excuses will again, be made. Again, Maybe. that's another COVID aspect to this. So yes. future listeners will be like, wow, must have been a crazy time. <laughs> yep, that it was. But the Steelers um, made enough mistakes to uh, hang themselves, and that they did. I, I will reassure you on the pod, as I've reassured you in person, no 16-0 and team has ever won the Super Bowl. Right? Uh, You've right, avoided yeah. that. The the Dolphins yes, in 72 no regular won season, 14. 16 and 0 team. <laughs> do not, do not come at me with your <laughs> details. I am correct with what I say. Right. So you've, you've guaranteed victory, I think. That's what it is. We play like we have the past two weeks. <laughs> the only victory we're going to see is earlier round uh, draft, first round draft picks next spring. <laughs> well, since a lot of our listeners are international, they won't have a clue what any nope. of this means. Nope. None of it. The Steelers are a, a fo- American football team who are, well, I mean, they're one of the powerhouses, but they've had a lean few years. Two years we've missed the playoffs. They. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really get involved. <laughs> oh, you don't? They don't consult oh, me one way or the other. <laughs> they should, I, those to me, buggers. <laughs> to me, that's a one-way street. I mean, like, when I talk about my soccer team back home, I... I say we all yes, the time. Yes, me as too. If I am part of it. I, do, I, you know, I always said we and never thought about it till uh, my senior year in college. A roommate of mine said, "Why do you always say we? You don't have anything to do with the team." And I was like, "You know, it's because I bleed along with them." Exactly. The players only play there for an average of two or three years. Right. You are the consistency. You are the the. In in England, we have a candy called Rock, which is um, it's got letters all the way down it, oh. all the way through the inside. Okay, and you're the you're the letters right through yes. the Steelers. Yeah. Four and a half decades of uh, <sighs> blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. Um, can I tell you a slight? Well, it's not funny in the slightest, but it's it. it kind of, <laughs> It, it's totally depressing. It's totally <laughs> depressing. So in England, um, for the first time last weekend, they've had fans back in the stadiums after the oh, lockdown. Okay, only limited numbers. Um, they all have to sit like ten seats apart, kind of thing. So it's very, very sparse. But this whole time, again, for listeners from the future, um, the pandemic has coincided with the sort of Black Lives Matter movement, and in England, the players. 
at the beginning of the game, I've all taken a knee for like just for five seconds as a sort of like, you know, Black Lives Matter thing, you know, just to sort of like give solidarity to that um, notion. And of course, it's been done in empty stadiums until this weekend. And there's a team in London called Millwall who are renowned for having the worst fans. Oh their, their own fans sing Everybody Hate Us. <laughs> that's, a, that's their song. Their they wear song it as a badge of honor us. that everybody hates them. Okay. And, and their team is ethnically diverse. And when both teams took a knee at the opening whistle, the fans booed. And there was only like 200 of them there. You could like pick them out right. in the crowd. It wasn't like a mob scene. It was like you individuals sitting there are booing and we can see you. Right. There's no anonymity there. They can literally yeah. see your face. Oh, man. So, yeah, that was that was pretty embarrassing. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Let's do um, that. Quick recap of what Tyrion was up to last time we saw him. Last we saw of Tyrion, he was just about surviving the battle on the Green Fork, which shouldn't have been that close. Rob Stark had only sent a token force under the uh, uh, command of Roos Bolton. But Tywin Lannister, Tyrion's father, had seen fit to station Tyrion and his mountain clansmen in the most dangerous part of the field. Um, Tyrion had acquired the services of Shay, uh, the prostitute, and was still hanging out with the disreputable sellsword, Bron. Why don't we give him the summary of this chapter? Alright. Tywin's host is back at the end of the crossroads. They've been marching hard, leaving injured soldiers to die so as to not be slowed. But it's all in vain. A survivor of Jamie's host from Riverrun has brought news of Jamie's capture and the breaking of the siege at Riverrun. Tywin's senior lords are gathered, including Tyrion and Kevin. Many aristocrats have been killed or captured, and worse still, Edmure Tully has been freed. They were holding him, uh, the the people besieging Riverrun were holding him, and he's been freed by uh, Rob Stark's forces. The imbalance of captives gets worse for the Lannisters. Tywin is dangerously silent, as his advisers pointlessly bleat and rehash the news. Tywin's only comment is, they have my son, which somewhat irks Tyrion. Sir Harry Swift, for whom Tyrion has scant regard, suggests that they are defeated and must sue for peace. Tyrion breaks his wine glass and suggests that, courtesy of Joffrey's rashness, the peace of the realm lies in similar pieces. All suggestions are undercut by Ned's demise. Eventually, Tywin snaps and throws everyone out but his brother and his son. Tywin says that Tyrion is right about Joffrey. Tyrion tries to be even-handed, saying that he'd committed a few follies, follies of his own at Joffrey's age. Tywin says that we can at least be grateful that he hasn't married a whore. Cold, Tywin. <laughs> very, very ah. cold. He informs the other two that Renly Baratheon has married Marjorie Tyrell and claimed the throne. The Tyrells have bent the knee to Renly. Cersei has commanded her father to King's Landing to defend the Iron Throne. Joffrey has not been told of Renly's move, as it is feared he will immediately lead an army into the field. Eyebrows are raised at what that army would entail. The gold cloaks? Even if they were to succeed, they could well return home to King's Landing to find Stannis on the throne. There is no real news of Stannis, just some rumors and guesses. Tywin decides that they will continue south to Harrenhal, which is large enough to hold his host and, def- and is a defendable location. Uh, Tywin orders raiding parties to torch the Riverlands. Tywin suggests that Tyrion's mountain men might like some of that action, but Tyrion wants to keep them with him. Tywin tells him to get them under control then, because Tyrion is being sent to King's Landing to rule. Tywin lists the stupidities and questions the worth of the small council. Tyrion asks, why me? His father replies, you are my son. But Tyrion cannot see the olive branch. All he hears is his father giving Jamie up for dead. Tywin dismisses him with one last command. Do not take the whore to King's Landing. Tyrion goes to Shay and tells her that that is exactly where they're going. Aha! Take that, father. I guess so. So, uh, by the way, I really enjoyed this chapter. Yeah, Just I F- did too. FYI. It's a good like chapter. A lot. Yeah. So, and I think I think a lot, a lot of the chapters I, am, I enjoy a lot are the ones where you get sort of like a lot of exposition about things that have been going on. Yep. Because this whole, the whole first half of this chapter is uh, basically a messenger from River Run recounting everything that's happened at River Run, uh-huh. which is nice because 
there's a lot of things happen there. And so to get it in the summary from a messenger makes it a lot, you know, keeps these books nice and short. Right. <laughs> keeps it under a, a mere 900 pages. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, this scene basically is just sitting at a table discussing things. So, yeah. you know, there's not a lot of actual action going on, but you get a lot of really interesting and useful information. Yeah. So, so the messenger recounts what happened at the Whispering Woods, which is, of course, where Jamie was taken captive, and the subsequent battles around Riverrun. Uh, it's a basically a domino effect, uh, as you might expect. Without Jamie, Riverrun is quickly freed. We told you that the the army, R- Jamie's army, had to split be split into three, right. and so Rob's army was able to take care of them in thirds um, quite easily. Um, and then most. Uh, newsworthy is the freeing of Edmure Tully, who was being cap- who who seems a little bit strange, but I guess it makes sense that they kept him right next to River Run after they captured him. Yeah, where where else would you keep him? I guess you could have sent him with a guard back to the Westerlands, to- Casterly Rock or Lannisport. Uh, I assume Casterly Rock. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but because he was there and the siege was lifted, they were able to free him. So. Um, Ed Mutulli was probably the highest value captive that the Lannisters had now that they decapitated Ned. Right. I mean, Sansa, I'm sure, holds a lot of value to Cat. But as far as battle strategy goes, maybe not as much as the uh, future Lord of Riverrun. Yes, quite, quite. The only parts of Jamie's armies that seem to escape are a band of sellswords who weren't exactly loyal. And when they saw the battle going against them, they, they scarpered quickly. <laughs> Turned sides. And Kevin, yeah. um, you know, he kind of chides Jamie for trusting the sellsword. But Tyrion, of course, is doing the same thing with Bronn. But I think Tyrion made it pretty clear in the chapter when they were making their way through the Mountains of the Moon that he gets that Bronn is hanging out with him because he is his meal ticket. So yeah, and I mean, I, presumably Jamie's smart enough to know what a sellsword is as well, right? You just when you when you hire a band of sellswords, you have to make sure that you keep the upper hand. Yes, yeah. If you're you right. don't keep the upper hand, they're gonna flip. Yeah, that is very true, and they did. Yeah. yeah. But so Harry Swift, Harry's Swift, which is a, a tough tough to get that double S in there. Harry's Swift. Uh, he's apparently not familiar with River Run eh, because he's he is perplexed why Jamie would have split his army into threes. What would he be thinking to do this? I think Harry Swift is a character that's put in there to allow us to have a little bit more exposition so that we as readers can understand it. Right. He he asks the, the dumb, obvious questions that exactly. we need to have asked. <laughs> but we knew because uh, Brendan Blackfish Tully explained in the, I think it was just the previous Cat chapter, about the issues with sieging River Run. Because, as we mentioned, because we, we brought up Pittsburgh at this point, River Run sits at the confluence of a tumblestone coming from uh, the north, coming down from the northern part of the uh, castle, and the Red Fork coming from the the southern part of the castle. They meet right there, and then so they make a two parts of a triangle. And when if there's trouble for River Run, they open these gates that flood a, a big, a large moat from the western side and basically make River Run. An island castle. Yeah, yeah. So if you're going to siege it, you got to have someone on the northern bank of the Tumblestone, the southern bank of the Red Fork, and then in that western part between the two rivers. Quite. Quite. Well, well done. That was good. Good explanation. By the way, Harry Swift well. is the father-in-law to, to Kevin Lannister. His. Oh, that's right. His daughter, Tyrion. Dorna is Kevin's wife. And Tyrion kind of mocks him, Tyrion's thoughts mock him yes. for a bit like the only thing he ever achieved in life was getting his uh, daughter married to a Lannister. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the messenger, so the messenger who survived and made it to the in at the crossroads and is explaining this stuff to everyone in the room, he says the attack was a surprise. They didn't see it coming. That Mark Piper had been raiding their supply train with roughly 50 men and Jamie left to go deal with it. 
And they were under the impression that the Star Coast was on the east bank of the Green Fork marching south. So they didn't really think they had anything to worry about from this large host that descended upon them. So it turns out um, Brendan Tully was right. They did either shoot down all the birds or, uh, you know, kill all of the outriders because no word got back to them about any kind of uh, plans that the Starks were up to. But but um, so he says that Mark Piper had been raiding with roughly 50 men and that Jamie went off to deal with with those 50 men. But he then also says he brought most of his cavalry, which feels like quite the excessive force to take care of 50 men. Yeah, I mean, uh, you I know, know, I know you want to squash you've them, got, but right, you've got you've got them. You might as well use them. You know, they're not expecting they're not expecting River Run to sort of like suddenly burst out and start fighting them. So you might as well use the cavalry anyway. You know, yeah, I guess. Just seems like a like maybe just two hundred would have done it. You know, <laughs> yeah. But but actually thinking about that, that um, you also don't know. I mean, it could be a trap. You know. If if Mark Piper keeps raiding with fifty men, there might be like four hundred men there. And so if you go with two hundred, you might get surprised. Solid point. Turns if out if there are fifteen fifteen thousand <laughs> waiting for you, you're in trouble no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, that's how that went down. So as the messenger describes things, um uh Flemont Brax begins to sniff that bad news is coming his way because his father tries to cross one of the rivers on a little pontoon in his full armour and sure enough he sinks to the bottom without a trace so his father died yeah and um, <laughs> no tears for Flemon Brax though he keeps going as if nothing's happened yeah uh Tyrion the the messenger tells trying to soften the blow to Sir Flemont says he was very gallant meaning his father Andros was very gallant and Tyrion thinks if that's gallantry I'll take cowardice every time. I hope he felt really <laughs> gallant as he was being pulled under the water by his metal plate armor. But, you know, Flemeth Brax is another kind of has a little bit of a mixed interest character because his wife is a Frey. Morio oh, Frey yeah. is his wife. So, I mean, clearly he's, you know, he's a lord, he's a from a house in the Riverlands. So I'm sure he's got his allegiance to the Lannisters, but you know, he does have a, a Frey wife who is, uh, and now the Freys have uh, elevated him to Lordship. So, you know, right. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> At least, you know, they're partly to blame for it. Anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to see the glasses being half full, right. The silver does. lining is he is now yeah. Lord <laughs> Flemeth Brax. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. So uh, the the message reports that the Western camp was overrun and Rob Stark himself led the charge and uh, Grey Wind was at his side, uh, chewing on horses. And you have something to say about this? It just surprises me a little because in order to get to... This this um, messenger said he was in the western camp, the one between the two rivers. Right. In order to get to them, they had to ford the Tumblestone at some right. point, which is the nearest ford is quite a ways upriver from River Run, of the the nearest ford of the mm-hmm. Tumblestone, and it's also a significantly swifter flowing river than the more placid. Red Fork, so they must have gone quite a ways out of their way to get um, across. But you know, or, they had to do it, I guess. So, or they built a bridge. I mean, like if it's if it's kind of a if it's a sort of mountain stream, it might have a sort of like a narrow, uh, maybe steep valley, and you might be able to build a sort of like a bridge to get a sizable force across without too much problems. Like at a narrow point. At a narrow point, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 
Could be. I, 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 they certainly had to get across it because they couldn't just attack River Run from one side. They needed to get at least two of the sides. Uh, well, but this. did they though? Because I mean, I mean, if if the if the rivers are truly impassable, you could just take out one side and then sort of like just point across the river threateningly, <laughs> like, right. "We're coming for you next." <laughs> Do like a big eeny meeny miny mo between the two. <laughs> yeah. See which one runs first. <laughs> I'm betting it's the one with the cell, most cell swords. Cell swords, yes. <laughs> we will hire cell swords. <laughs> we'll pay double what they're paying. <laughs> um, so now the Lannister's host is basically Tywin's army, which has continued to dwindle from his hard march back south again yep. from his uh, from the Battle of the Green Fork. Yeah, um, and they're in quite a pickle. Oh yeah, because they can't go north because they're basically if you go north, you you either try to go across the river at the twins that's close to them now, or you try and keep going north and then you hit Mokalin and that's close to them as well. Yep. So there's nothing north. Uh, east of them would be uh, the Vale of Arryn, and there's no warmth for the Lannisters there. They could flee back to the west, but they'd have to go via River Run. Right. <laughs> River Run is on the way back to Castle Rock. Yeah, that's so, pretty much closed off to them now. They they could head south, but now reports are coming from the south that the Reach and the Stormlands are in open rebellion against them too. Yeah. The Reach being the home of the Tyrells, the Tyrells have now plighted their they've 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 pledged themselves to Renly. Right. Renly has claimed the throne, so they're going to fight for this, clearly. Luckily, there is a uh, a silver lining, and that is that Jamie is Warden of the East. So as that is such a useful position, <laughs> he can simply say, <laughs> I need the veil to stand down and let us enter. <laughs> From his cell, right. Kat gives him a raven and a piece of parchment. <laughs> Strange that you're writing to my sister. No, no, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this will go over well. I know my sister. <laughs> Yeah, so um, so Tywin sort of like weighing up the pros and cons of where to go. He thinks they'll just head south and just hide out at Harrenhal, basically, which they can defend, right. and then I guess hope that the situation improves somehow. Yeah, you know, I was wondering about the um, the Vale of Arryn, and I wondered if Liza knew what a vulnerable position the Lannisters were in. If she, if might, she might come down the hill, dare come beyond yeah. the bloody gate, you know, if she knew like. We could take them out with one good push here if she might yeah. be moved to do so. But yeah. she doesn't she doesn't seem to be moved to move at all. Yeah. So um while the while the messenger is questioned about how all this came to pass, the messenger mentions that none of the scouts reported that this large force was there, that the best intelligence they had was Mark Piper and his fifty men. Um Gregor Clegane the mountain, Sandor's, yes. Sandor the Hound Clegane's brother, um, voices some nice thoughts. He says that any scout that comes back without seeing anything is not worth his eyes. So those eyes are plucked out and given to the next scout to carry because <laughs> then he'll have four eyes. Right. And if I was... And if so I was on and so no- forth. Oh, <laughs> yeah. If I was scout number two or three, I would definitely find something. Right. There were, there were people everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's others. There's there's whites. <laughs> Run away. Speaking of uh, Sir Gregor Clegane, uh, it, Tywin also mentions that Sir Beric Dondarrion and Thoris of Mir are still uh, harassing them. So they're still out fighting the good fight that Ned sent them out on uh, on his day on the. The Iron Throne that's, when he asked for right. them to go. They'll eventually bring Grego back to <laughs> right. justice. Eventually. They're going to keep trying until they get the chance. Yeah. But Tywin does. So he sends everybody off. He's he's irked. He's had enough. He sends everybody off except for Tyrion and his brother Kevin. And he says to Tyrion, you're right. With Ned. In fact, in fact, apart from saying they have my son at the start of the chapter, he doesn't speak another word until he throws them all out. Right? Right. Like all no, of yeah. this conversation right. is just yeah. Tywin is just sitting there silently listening to all this. Garbage. Yeah, Tyrion was actually thinking he is a pretty silent guy unless he has something to say. But this, but he can see sweat beating on his forehead, and he can <laughs> see in his 
yeah. in his eyes the, uh, the the tension building there. But yeah. when he clears the room, he tells tells Tyrion, "You're right. With Ned, we might have been able to make peace with the North in River Run, and in doing so, it'd have given us time and the opportunity to deal with the Baratheon brother situation." Right. So if only Joff yeah, yeah, had exactly. him, it, you know. Exactly. That would be a great outcome at this point. Because oh, yeah. things are bad for Lannister. You make a trade of prisoners, Jamie for Ned, and then you say and 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 the other part of this is we leave the Riverlands and you re- leave the Riverlands too. You head back north. I think everyone would walk away from that happy. I think so. And then you can then you can protect the Iron Throne from the Baratheons. Right. I think so. If if Joff had allowed Ned to take the black at least Tywin could have then used his persuasion over Joff to get him to recant. Yeah. And you know, might have had a, a deal here, but now with Ned gone, they're basically surrounded by enemies on all sides. Yep. 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 But so <laughs> Tyrion does say something I thought was funny. He says Take heart, father. At least Rhaegar Targaryen is still dead. And I think that was in reference to the rumor that Bran mentioned in Bran 6, which I think was chapter 53, that there was a a rumor that uh, Rhaegar Targaryen had returned from the dead and is gathering a host of ancient heroes on Dragonstone. Which, I mean, would make matters worse if if that was true. It, that's <laughs> true, yes. So, so so perhaps Tyrion is being a little bit uh, loose and free with his good news. Right. Take our right. father. I believe that Rhaegar Targaryen is still dead. Who knows? Everything else has gone wrong, but I'm still yeah. sure that this one's not. Yeah. So, um, yes, so Tywin is sending Tyrion to King's Landing. It seems to be a good fit. His, the, the thought is that he'll rule the realm, bring Joffrey to heal. And yeah. he's definitely suited to those two things. I mean, he's clearly got leadership p- potential. And he clearly likes to abuse his nephew. <laughs> We've seen it. Yep, <laughs> we definitely know that. Uh, I Although, having seen what we've seen, I'm a little bit unsure if anyone, except for maybe Tywin, can control Joff at the moment. He's just so high on power and so... Joffrey, yeah, it's 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 actually going to be tricky for Tyrion. Yeah, um, yeah, it's because because he is going to try and abuse him, and Ty, and Joffrey has his Kingsguard, and this might come to a head. Right, I think Tyrion certainly has the intelligence and the capabilities to to get down there and make some good adjustments. And uh, but the only issue is, will he be able to do so? We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. It's, it's a backhanded compliment from Tywin because he's revealing for the first time trust and faith in his younger son. Right. Uh, but presumably that was always there. But it's also a kind of horrible calculus that he's written, basically writing Jamie off as gone. Yeah, that that Can't doesn't see sit a way well to get Tyrion Jamie either. back. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. So now, he, so now he's actually investing in Tyrion as his son and heir. I think he might be Tywin. That is, might be jumping the gun a little bit. I mean, yeah, the North is angry, no doubt. But the, he has to remember that the Lannisters do still have Sansa, and they think they have Arya. The North thinks yeah. they have Arya. So they're yeah. probably not going to kill him while they have the, the daughters. Yes, but, but his problem, the problem that Tywin perceives, I think, is that he knows now that they're not in any position to win uh, militarily against the North now. Right, not as things they currently are, stand. Yeah, they are in big trouble militarily. With with the benefit of Harrenhal's walls, he can probably hold out against the siege against right uh, Rob Stark, but not not win anything. And the problem that the that that's compounded by the fact that he can't see any diplomatic way to get Jamie back because yeah. he's got nothing to offer in return. Right, Sansa just doesn't cut it. Right, 
I agree. But Tyrion, he has mixed feelings about this whole thing. On one hand, he admits to himself that, well, no, he doesn't admit because he says he's more pleased than he would admit. So (laughs) (laughs) by definition, he's not admitting to it. (laughs) I think that's an admission of sorts. Right. But uh, he's also wondering, though, if he's being left to hold the left again, like he did at the... was. in the battle of the, oh, interesting. Uh, the yeah. Green Fork, is he being put in a compromising position in a in a position where he's being set up to fail? But you know what, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's true. Actually, I, I think. Well, obviously, the the larger part of the of the sort of loyalist uh, Lannister military force is up here in the Riverlands. In fact, just Tywin's army, basically. But King's Landing is pretty defensible. Right. It yeah, has high walls. It's you know surrounded by water on it, two sides. But it, but it doesn't have a military per se. Right. It has the gold cloaks, but they're not really the same. I agree. They yes. they beat up uh urchins. They don't fight people who are <laughs> similarly armed. Right. It's probably not even many of them that are knights. Probably n- None of them, I wouldn't None think, them, would be yeah. knights. Yeah. So, yeah, Tywin is absolutely scathing about... So, so, what I'm saying is, yes, it does feel like you could be putting him in... Ty- Tyrion might be being sent into the dangerous part of the thing, but Tywin must care about King's Landing because that's where his daughter and his three grandchildren... Right. And now his remaining son are all going to be. Yeah. So yes. you can't give that up as the left side of the line. Right. I, I think maybe he's it's thinking more of like, am I being set up to be the scapegoat for this? Like uh, you get down there and then they're like, oh, Tyrion screwed this all up. You know, right. it was during your rule that it all fell apart. Right, right, right. And also sort of use that to sort of whitewash Joffrey's sins in some way. <laughs> right. Yes. So three years from now, you oust Tyrion as being hopeless and Joffrey who hopefully has been conditioned to be a bit better steps in as the noble king yes and something like that you forget all of the early like, crimes yeah. like a reset button on Joffrey's rule yeah. so Tywin is absolutely scathing about what's going on in King's Landing he oh, particularly yeah. the elevation of Janus Slint to be Lord of Harrenhal he said, you know, Harrenhal used to be the seat of kings, and now it's been given to a butcher, the son of a butcher. You know? Yeah. And I had suggested when it happened, in the chapter when it happened, that I thought maybe the honor was being bestowed upon uh, Janus Slint to get what they wanted out of Janus Slint, but they never actually intended for him to have it long term. It was well, more of a, a carrot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Tywin does not intend to hit for him to right. have it. He actually says at one point, he will never see this place. Yeah, so. and uh, Cersei may have known that, you know? I mean, she may have realized, oh yeah, this isn't going to happen, but Jaina Slint doesn't know this isn't going to happen, so... But then, I mean, how much do you need to give the man? I mean, gold would have worked. Right, yeah. You don't need to give him this. You certainly don't need to give him a, a seat on the small council. Unless he's a strategic genius, you know, as well as being the son of a butcher. He doesn't need a seat on the small council. Right? Yeah. They they gave him, it seems like, what, Ned was bribing him with 5,000 gold right. coins, which is a lot of money. Right. But, but since the 5,000 gold coins were being carried to him by Peter Baelish, right. he could have told them these were from the Queen. Yeah, that's a good point. So, could have, he could have used, been, he, this 1,000 gold coins is, <laughs> is from Ned Stark. 1,000? I'm not doing it for that. How about I throw in Harrenhal? <laughs> Done! Uh, yes, Tywin's also mad about the Hound being made a Kingsguard. Yeah. He's, he says that you feed your dog bones from the table. You don't elevate it to the highest table. Yeah, he has... He has an issue with uh, the Hound as a member of the Kingsguard, but he has Gregor Clegane, his the Hound's older brother, leading men under the Lannister name here and there. I, I guess the difference is that Gregor's dirty work is done on the down low, and the Kingsguard is a prestigious, highly visible position. Right. I think that's the problem. I don't. I don't think he has a problem with the Hound being like he is. 
right I yeah the personal protector yeah yeah but of yeah. course we know that Sandor Clegane is much deeper than would uh, first meet the eye he he has a soft protective spot for Sansa Stark did you say Gregor or Sandor I don't know you know with uh, me with names you meant Sandor yeah, yeah, yeah you got it <laughs> I, I, I heard Gregor so I was like He's got a soft spot. Who for? I don't think Nobody. Gregor has a soft spot for anything. <laughs> um, Ty- Tywin also complains about the ousting of Barristan Selmy. Sure, he was old, but he brought gravitas and experience to the small council, yeah. which are sadly lacking now. Yeah, it's just yeah. A lot of it is you know the same optics, only in reverse, as yeah. the Hound being elevated to yeah. the King's Guard. Barristan Selmy, yeah, he might have been older but he still had prestige and uh yeah. you know respect in the realm yeah and then lastly i mean basically he's going through the um uh small council at this point baelish Pycelle, and varis what kind of counsel are they giving the young king when he lurches from one folly to the next yeah i think tywin probably needs to see it for himself they are just Trying to stay alive. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like... I mean, we saw it on the pulpit in Arya's chapter. We know at least Cersei, Varys, and the High Septon, who's not a member of the small council, but we know that those three went to Joffrey after he said, uh, you know, bring me Ned's head to to Sir Ilium Payne. You know, they, they were trying to get him to change his mind, but they, they had no luck and it seems like there was previous conversations about this as well, because he said, my mother wants me to let Ned take the black. So, you know, people had tried to advise him. He just ignored it all and jumped yeah. to another folly. So Cersei's keeping Joff in the dark about Renly because she's afraid that he's going to take the gold cloaks and ride south. And we know from the last Sansa chapter that he was already planning on riding out with the gold cloaks for River Run. And, you know, we had talked about this in the Sansa chapter that, and, and it's, it's basically stated in this chapter what a terrible idea that would be. He rides off with basically the people who are there to protect the throne and the King's Landing, and there's no one left to protect the throne or King's Landing, so. Right. And, and he's not likely to win. No. Basically... A, an armed police force at his yes. back. He's going I to mean, lose. Yeah. Whether he, yeah, whether he leads them against Rob or Renly, he'll be woefully outnumbered. In back in Ned thirteen, which was chapter forty seven, he told Peter Baelish that he had Ned had to have the gold cloaks because they were two thousand strong. Well, that might be a nice force inside the walls of King's Landing, but out on a battlefield when he's up against yeah. armies of ten plus thousand. With real leaders, right? <laughs> He's gonna, this gold cloaks would be led by Jaina Slint and Joffrey Baratheon. I mean, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I yes. think Mark yeah. Piper's fifty uh, raiders might be able to <laughs> might take just that take. A... <laughs> so we finally do get news of the Baratheon boys, which we've been waiting for. Um, there's only rumors and hints of what Stannis is up to, but Renly has married Mar- Marjorie Tyrell, who will remember. Um, they were trying to marry Marjorie to Robert. They were trying right. to get Robert to set Cersei aside and marry Marjorie. Yep. Um, and Renly has claimed the throne, which is a stretch. I mean, Renly is the youngest brother of three. Right. The eldest brother has died. Uh, the, yeah. the eldest brother's son is not the eldest brother's. So that so, surely means that Stannis Baratheon, the second brother, is now the king of right. the Seven Kingdoms. If you accept the fact that Ned was telling the truth and Joffrey is not Robert's heir, how that you might, you might find that Ro, that Renly is better suited to be King, but yes. there's no, you can't possibly make the argument that he's got the claim to be King. Right. So. Unless Dragonstone is entirely cut off forever in some way from the rest of the seven kingdoms. Right. Stannis is the King. So, Loras Tyrell and his father Mace Tyrell, so that Mace is Marjorie and Loras's father, have pledged fealty to Renly. Now, all the way through this book, we've been talking about the Tyrells as being wealthy and comfortable, and the right. last thing they would want to do is rock the boat. Right. Okay, I don't know anything. <laughs> First chance they get, they're rocking that boat. <laughs> I was projecting my own thoughts onto them, because apparently they just couldn't wait to get rid of the Marathi, <laughs> Joffrey from the throne. 
Yeah, and but we I we last chapter when it was mentioned that Cersei still well actually it wasn't last chapter that was a Daenerys chapter but the Sansa chapter when it was announced when Joffrey mentioned that my mother still wants me to marry you to Sansa and we were saying why it would make much more sense to marry someone marry him to someone like Marjorie Tyrell oh uh, yeah. It certainly does make more strategic sense. The Reach is fertile and can field a large army. Plus, it comes with the Redwine fleet. And don't forget, the Redwine twins were, at least in the last Arya chapter, still in King's Landing. So the Tyrells pledging their fealty to Renly and the Redwines having fealty to the Tyrells does put the red wine twins, Horace and Hobber, in a bit of a sticky situation if they're still in King's Landing. Right. They, of course, might have been sent a raven to say, come on back home. Right. We're forming Before this word gets out, we need yeah. you to get out of town fast. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So, Loras Tyrell and Renly Baratheon were friends, and so maybe that's the sort of key, is that they... So they were plotting to get Marjorie to be right. the new queen. Maybe their friendship has led this to, you know, to come to a head. And Loras has got sway over his father, you know. Right, yeah, that that's what it... It depends on how much sway Loras, who I believe is the youngest son, has over his father Mace. You know, if if he doesn't have a lot of sway, then this then this is a different situation. If he has a lot of sway over him and says, no, we got to back this guy. This is the guy. This is our king, you know? Yeah. It, it is an interesting calculus, though, for the Tyrells, because because you're absolutely right. If if they are sort of semi-ambitious, sending Marjorie to King's Landing to marry Joffrey sure. is a simpler yeah. route than marrying her off to Renly and then yes. trying to win King's Landing. First against the Lannisters, and then against a very irate older brother. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, because of Ren, because of what Renly's done here, it very much tears the allegiance within the Stormland into three different threads. Because Stannis is the eldest, a Baratheon. He's the oldest living Baratheon now. But Renly is the Lord of Storm's End. And Joff, and I'll put in finger quotes here, is the son of Robert and the current king. So Stormland houses would have to decide who are we backing here? Do we back Robert's son? Do we believe the rumor that he's not Robert's son? He's also the king? I, I guess I guess you could you could at least just split that into Joffrey versus the brothers for now. Because I mean You'd hope the brothers wouldn't fight each other before they got rid of Joffrey. Well, yeah. So that was, that was another thought I had because Kevin then, very next line, says, these are grave tidings. He's referring to Renly claiming uh, the the throne and gaining the Tyrell support. And it depends on how these Baratheons, what they're going to do because it's not necessarily grave tidings. If Renly weds Marjorie, rouses a host from the Reach on Stannis' behalf, that would definitely have been very bad. Very bad. <laughs> yes. Bad news Very, very bad. Yeah, yeah. But since he's not the heir and Stannis is, Renly's claim is, as we just discussed, obviously false. And it's doubtful that Stannis is going to just be, you know, sit by and be passed over by his younger brother. So it might, di- it might divide the Baratheon forces and weaken their position as opposed to making a stronger, unified force. Yeah, although I will say, Stannis has sat around and done nothing yes. for the entire book. So maybe that is in his maybe. character, in fact. You know. he, he, miss, he misses the days of the siege, right. and he's just reliving it by not doing People it keep then. wondering why he's eating leather bootstraps. And he's like, we have a steak ready for you. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So so the, the, the good news, the hope for the Lannisters is that the Baratheons do right. get into a... A fight against one another the fear would be they'll take care of Joffrey first and then squabble over which one of them takes the throne that would be the logical option and certainly if I'm a Bannister loyal Bannister, if I'm a Bar- Baratheon loyalist and I'm not sure what's going on 
I just fight for Renly or Stannis, whichever one I whichever one I hear from, yeah. I go fight for them. Help them win the throne, and then if the other one ends up on the throne, I'm fine with that. It doesn't bother me. Right? Yeah, yeah. From from the uh, Bannerman perspective, yeah, I agree. But uh, Tywin tells Kevin and Tyrion that he felt from the beginning that Stannis is a greater danger than the rest combined, which is pretty high praise for Stannis, who's done nothing but sit on Dragonstone thus far. Um, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, he's done nothing, but still he's considered by Tywin, who's a pretty uh, savvy, yeah, you know. He's shrewd. It, yeah. He can't possibly have a bigger army than Renly, because Renly's got the reach, and even if they split the Stormland 50-50, Renly would still have the bigger army. So why does he find Stannis to be the bigger threat? I think it, it's not just the claim itself. It's not just the fact that he has the more legitimate claim. I think it's that it, Stannis's prowess as a military leader and strategist, and he also has a record of success against very heavy odds. Remember, he, in his early 20-ish mm. uh, years, he held Storm's End from the Tyrells and Red uh, Redwines during the, the siege of Storm's End, which uh, almost... Almost got got yep. him, but uh, Ned came and uh, lifted the siege just in time. He also took Dragonstone after the sack of King's Landing. Now there was a a huge storm that helped smash their uh, the Dragonstone fleet to bits. That's how Daenerys got her name, Daenerys Stormborn Targaryen. There yeah, you go. That very storm. There you go. So he was helped by by Mother Nature, but he also used that uh, a genius trap for a major defeat of the Iron Fleet in the uh, Greyjoy Rebellion, and then he went on to subdue Great Wick in the Greyjoy Rebellion. So he's he's got a record of being pretty savvy. But 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 in that little description, you, you raised a red flag in there, which is that he still harbors a huge grudge against the Tyrells and the oh, Red Oh, yes. He, we've heard before that yeah. he's never forgiven them. And now all of a sudden, his brother has sided with them smartly. I mean, Renly's not going to win the throne with half right. of the Stormlands. He needs he needs supporters, but he's chosen the supporters that his brother yeah. hates the most. It might be difficult for Stannis to team up yeah. with, her, with yeah. Renly. Uh, I guess if the because of that, if, if the crown was at stake, he might be willing to. Uh... Men defenses, but yeah, yeah. well, we'll see. We, <laughs> right, we, we haven't, haven't met the man. <laughs> good point. Oh, excellent. Uh, so, I love this chapter, it was really good. So, to background, um, Tywin instructs Kevin to order three groups out to burn the Riverlands. Um, they're to be led by Gregor Clegane, Armory, Amory Lorch, and Vargo Hote, respectively. We know Gregor, we've met him before, but Armory Lorch is new. Um, he's a Lannister Bannerman. The Lorch signal is a black manticore on a red background. Um, he's reputed to have been partly responsible for the murder of Rhaegar Targaryen and Elia Martell's children. Because uh, right. I'm kind of show-oriented and have been for a while, I'd, I'd lost track of this. I thought that it was all Gregor Clegane's doing. But the rumour is that Gregor killed uh, the baby yeah. boy, Egan. But it was Armory Lorch who killed mm. the daughter Rhaenys. Yeah. So um, he's uh, he's involved in that. So yes, he sounds like a good candidate for going out and sure does. killing yeah. innocent yeah. villagers. Sounds like the kind of guy who might follow through on that. Yes, yeah, got got the experience for the job. Yeah. And uh, Vargo Hote is the leader of the Brave Companions, who are a band of cell swords. So I hope <laughs> Kevin was warning Tyrion Tywin right. about. <laughs> <laughs> the danger of sellswords. Uh, they're from Essos. Uh, they were recruited by Tywin. They are infamous for their cruelty and depravity. Again, ideal candidates well for this mission. Uh, Vargo is not the best of them. May not be the worst, but certainly not the best. Their sigil is a goat with bloody horns, and Vargo has a reputation for torturing ah. and mutilating his captives. Yes. Now, I wonder if when Kevin was admonishing... Uh, Jamie for his decision to trust the Tyrashi sellsword that that turned uh, turned sides. I wonder if he was looking at Tywin when he was doing that. Like, don't trust <laughs> sellswords. Oh, 
Or if he wasn't looking at Tywin, but Tywin was looking at him. Like, <laughs> oh, really? So in comparison with the television show, it's condensed, but it's very much captured. Most of the dialogue is given over to Tyrion and Kevin talking back and forth. But you get the more stupid comments as like voiceover as you look at Tywin's face getting more and more angry. You get So you have the sort of voiceover discussion between idiots. As you're looking at Tywin's face. Um, I could definitely see that happening. Uh-huh. Uh, when Tywin throws everybody out, he throws out Kevin too. He only keeps Tyrion in the room. Oh, okay. A fair bit of the exposition is dropped in favour of brevity. There's no talk of Barristan Selmy. Uh, there's no mention of Tyrion's former marriage. The possible conflicting goals of the Baratheon brothers is ignored. They're both in rebellion, is how they're treated. Uh, but Tywin does wonder as to the value of Varys, Pycelle and Baelish. He, he does also announce that they'll be headed to Harrenhal. And Tywin specifically appoints Tyrion the Hand of the King. And that I, I read the book carefully and that's not what happens in the book. He nope, just he... tells him to go and rule. Right, yeah. But in the TV show, he appoints him Hand of the King. I'm not sure that the Warden of the West and Lord of Casterly Rock, as powerful as he is, can just appoint someone Hand of the King. <laughs> if... If the king doesn't agree, he can take him over his knee and give him a (laughs) a spank, (laughs) being the grandfather thereof. Um, We even get the scene, uh, the last paragraph of the chapter is uh, Tyrion and Shay, and we even get that scene in the book. In fact, it's, sorry, in the TV show. It's actually quite expanded because Tyrion says, I can't take you to King's Landing, which is not what he says in the book. In the book, he's like... I'm going to take you to King's Landing despite what my father said. In the show, he's willing to comply with the things. But Shay argues with him and bosses him around. And eventually ah. he capitulates and says, all right, all right. And basically, Shay is sort of like amped up in the TV show. They give her more. Yeah. She gets right. more screen time than she does in the book. Which is all to the good, I say. <laughs> yeah. And she's just a better character in the TV show, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. More dynamic. Yeah. So pedantry... Uh, you you go first on pedantry. I'm curious what you've got here. Well, so twice in this chapter, both Tyrion and Harry Swift refer to the area where the the battle between Jamie and his men and the Northern Force happened as Whispering Wood. But that area was dubbed the Whispering Wood because of the battle that happened in that at that location. It wasn't always called the Whispering Wood. So I like did the messenger come and be like, Oh, we dubbed a cool new name for that wood. Yeah, We're calling yeah. it the Whispering Wood. So <laughs> We couldn't keep the Siege of River on going, but let me tell you what we did do. <laughs> we came up with a really cool nickname for the area where the battle happened and your son so, was taken hostage. Yeah, but 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 never mind that. <laughs> the Wattle of the Whispering Wood. Yeah, pretty focus cool. On that. Um, so in the notes you have in quotes, "Oh, we dubbed wood cool new name." I thought this was like a tongue twister or something. I was like, "What the <laughs> hell are you talking about?" <laughs> oh, we dubbed wood cool new name. So, so my pedantry on this one is not really pedantry. It's just, it, and and this was actually a, a slight difference between the TV show. At no time in the TV show does Peter Dinklage act like he's not happy with what he's hearing from his father. Twice in the book, he reacts to Tywin. First, when he thinks, when Tywin says, they have my son, and Tyrion's like, I'm sitting right here. you know. Right. <laughs> and the second time, when he thinks he's given Jamie up for dead. Yeah. And neither of those things happen in the TV show. At no point does Peter Dinklage act like he's put out by the things that Tywin is saying. And okay. I just wonder if he's being just a little bit precious. I mean, obviously... Tywin isn't a great guy and a right. bit hard-hearted. But his motivation for the things he does here could be honest and true. I mean, yes, he might say, they have one of my sons. That would be nicer. Yeah, yeah. But you might not be thinking clearly and just be like, they have my son. That doesn't mean right. they have my only right. son. That's <laughs> Probably that's exactly what he said to Jamie when he was talking about Lisa Aaron. <laughs> right. She has my son. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it was. Yeah. So yeah, it's just minor that one, but uh, I, I just it's and it's actually not against the book; it's just against Tyrion's character. I think he should let up on his father on that. One. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from there. News and notes. Do we have any news and notes, McKelly? We do indeed. I'm glad oh, you good. asked. 
<laughs> uh, so we have we got a, a few emails this uh, this past week or so. We got a message from Sloan. And this was, she actually sent this uh, message a, a couple weeks ago, but I held it for this particular chapter because she asked why we think Kevin Lannister seems fond of Tyrion when Tywin seems to dislike him so much. Now, in this chapter, he disliked him a little less than usual. And she was wondering our thoughts on whether Kevin could possibly be Tyrion's father, even though she admits to having no evidence to support that possibility. Well, I mean, I definitely think it's possible to like one's nephew without having sired right. one's nephew. Yes. Um, I, yeah, you, you finish. Here. I didn't really have much more to say than that, uh, Michele, honestly. I kind of <laughs> my the thought, end of the road for that thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I thought, and this is what I responded back to Sloan, uh, I think Kevin can see Tyrion more clearly for his benefits for the positives about him. He right. He can see see that Tyrion is intelligent and uh, capable, and, and, and unfortunate. You know, unlucky. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Tywin is his when he sees Tyrion. It's shadowed by the fact that it was Ty- Tyrion's birth that caused the death of his beloved Joanna, his wife. Yeah, and and I think every time. He looks at Tyrion. He might He's think, reminded. "Oh, yeah. I would trade you for Joanna for in a heartbeat." Yeah. yeah, you know. But also, there's probably some embarrassment that someone is powerful and such a big character in Westeros has a dwarf son, and you know that that's probably uh, yeah. something that. I think him. that's enough. I don't think we need Sloane spreading rumors about Tyrion's <laughs> birthright. I think, because I, because what you said there makes perfect sense to me. I mean, like, uh, Tywin can't get past what Tyrion is and what Tyrion did inadvertently. Kevin right. sees a, an unfortunate child who he's fond of and who's smart and fun to be around. You know, right? Yeah. We also got an email from Jenny, and she mentioned that um, did we consider that the. Hound possibly saved Sansa from a terrible fate by stepping between her and Joffrey when she was considering pushing Joffrey. Oh, not 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 saving Joffrey, but saving Sansa. Sansa, right. Because <laughs> of uh, Cersei's wrath or uh, Tywin's wrath or whoever. Someone's wrath. I'm probably likely Cersei's wrath. Now, yeah, or- Sansa thinks before she does it, you know, if I fell to my death while pushing him, that wouldn't be the worst thing. But she doesn't think, if I don't die, I'm going to be in some serious trouble. So, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's hot water right there. <laughs> yes, yes. And how so, was your day? Well, I pushed your son off the battlements. I killed the king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and then I had lemon cakes. <laughs> That's right. Uh she also, she said, she also loves the descriptions of the Vale and the Eyrie, as I do. Oh so. well, a kindred spirit there, McKenna. That's right. And I'll put out a general thanks to the people who contacted us to notice that when we published the Sansa Six episode, we gave it the title Daenerys Nine, which was unfortunate. But who did that? I, what a I, dummy! I, <laughs> since you do all the work, it's really very cruel of me to point out the flaws. It was because I was uploading it while we were talking after uh, yeah. the Daenerys 9 episode. Yes, yes. So I just wrote we, Daenerys 9 down there. We don't normally do that. We don't normally record on the day we publish a different episode. Right. And so I, I totally understood how it happened. Anyway, let's conclude. Uh, the Western Lords were pretty much ready to broker peace with Rob. Were it not for Joffrey, this could all have been behind us. We could have peace in the realm right now. Right, wrap this book up. One book. Yeah. One bo- <gasps> Can you imagine? It wouldn't be a great ending, though. Joffrey run it, ruling the Seven Kingdoms. That's, right. that's not really what I want. How I want the book to end. But <laughs> you know, well, we were talking in the last Sansa chapter about if she followed things far enough back, she might get to the realization that a lot of her troubles were her own doing. And I was thinking, if Tywin followed the trail back far enough, he might discover the same thing. He started the fighting in the Riverlands by sending the mountain in on raiding parties to provoke Edmure to spread 
his men thin so that then he could have a, you know, prepare for an easy sweep of the Riverland strongholds. If he hadn't been messing around doing that, he could possibly have come to King's Landing and guided Joff and Cersei in the way that he wanted them to be guided. You know, handle handle Ned the way he would have wanted Ned to have been handled. Very interesting. But then, but then there's a lot of people could get blamed here. I mean, if, <laughs> right. Tyrion had been, if Tyrion had been there, he could have been doing what Tywin has now asked him to do. If Jaime hadn't run off to the Riverlands. Right, yeah. Yeah, of course, one person who I do have... I have faith in the in their ability to control Joff would be Tywin. If it wasn't Tywin, yes. I would think it would be Cersei. Clearly, that's not working. Well, I think she can. I just think she thinks that he's making good decisions, apart from the one she disagrees with. She, <laughs> she, I, I don't think Cersei wants to curb him. I think she thinks his excesses are acceptable. I think Tyrion and Tywin hmm. are of a mind where... We need to stop that boy from acting on his impulses. Cersei is more of the opinion, eh, his impulses are fine. Well, yeah, except he's for that my she, golden hasn't, child. she hasn't told him about Renly yet because she's afraid he's going to ride off with the gold cloaks and leave the city barren of defenses. So she's not entirely uh, okay with his impulse control issues. Well, yes, okay. She, she has learned to her cost. To not entirely trust, but but until he chopped Ned's head off, she was fine with his actions and behavior. Seems like it, yeah. yeah. Now she's like, eh, you know what? I should perhaps curb the flow of information to that child. <laughs> I need to get my dad down here, stat. Exactly. He, he uh, we didn't mention this, but Tywin says that Cersei has commanded him to come to King's Landing to help. <laughs> That's uh, right. He didn't like that. <laughs> no, he didn't. He, he mentions in italics, commanded. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I'm just saying a lot of these troubles, uh, Tywin, he, he started, he, he started the stew. He started uh, yeah. heating the stew of his own issues here. Yeah. Yeah. So Tyrion's stock is on the rise. Um, partly perhaps because Tywin has given up Jamie for dead or, Partly because Tyrion has earned it, I think. I think honestly, it's a combination of the both. Right. Yeah, um, I agree. I think if ja- if Jamie was there, Tywin might well send Jamie back to King's Landing to try and bring them to, but he isn't. Right. So yeah. He sends Tyrion instead. Yeah, I think it's fairly split. He seems to be warming to Tyr. The chapter started with Tyrion being offended that he said, "They have my son." Like he was being slighted. Like he wasn't even Tywin's. Son, the chapter ended with Tywin sending him Tyrion to King's Landing to rule. So, yeah, yeah, you know. So I, I have a, I have a question for you here. Okay, um, which is if if the North had had spies at that meeting, now the 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 Western lords have decided that they can't even. There's no point even asking for peace now because of the Ned situation. Right, uh, but if the Northern Lords had spies at that meeting, knowing that the Western Lords were desperate to sue for peace but can't see a way to do it, would the Northern Lords come up with a peace deal to get out of this mess? Because it's a mess for everybody. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, uh, I think they would very strongly consider it. I think Cat would be pushing hard for it because she wants her daughters back. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think they would. I mean, as so in this chapter, Leo Lefford, who's the Lord of Golden Tooth, he suggests that they ransom for Jamie at whatever cost. And Tyrion kind of scoffs. He rolls his eyes and said, "If they want gold, they can melt Tyrion. They can melt Jamie's armor. But you can ransom with for more than just gold. You know, yeah, ransom with yeah. concessions. You know, yeah. <laughs> like hit them everywhere it hurts. But you can still." work out a, a deal. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, that's the thing. Although strategically the girls aren't as important as Jamie, in Kat's eyes, they're, right. as, they're as important as Jamie. Yes, you know? exactly. So and if you could, if you could, in return for Jamie, you could get the girls back, you could get independence for the North. You know, maybe the North becomes its own kingdom again, like it used to be. Right. Uh, you get, maybe Joffrey Baratheon has to take the black. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> She's got another son. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, that's right. Tommen becomes king. And, and then 10,000 gold coins, you know. Yeah. You, you would think that a lot of, uh, first of all, got to remember that Rob is 15. So his mother might have a lot of sway over him still. Exactly. But, yeah. know, she wants those and, girls and back. And he himself would want the girls back. Sure. You know? Yeah. 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 There's, there's only so much you can do with Jamie Lannister. You can only kill him once. You know? Right. He's a mouth to feed, you know? Right, yeah. He, he's uh, only a bargaining chip if you're willing to trade him. Right. Otherwise, he's just uh, like a yeah, trophy. Just nothing, really. Yeah, a trophy, exactly, yeah. And I'm very curious to see how Shay will fit in at court. Yeah, and, you know, what do you think? Did he decide to bring her because he's that fond of her? I mean, there's got to be plenty of other women in King's Landing that you know, he could attach himself to, or was it done simply to spite his father because his father specifically said, don't bring her to court? I, I think there's a book show difference there. I think in the book, it's to spite his father. Right. I think in the okay. TV show, you've clearly found that he's getting very fond of her and he can't, okay. he, he can't stand to be apart from her now. And then the other person who's going to be quite the splash at court, I think, is Shagger. It's <laughs> <laughs> definitely going to be interesting. I want to see him dressed in his finest at a, uh, at a meal in the Great Hall. <laughs> yeah, I think the new Hand of the King should have a, a tourney. Right, yes. <laughs> All right. Let's wind this up. As always, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Ghost Harren Hall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks to McKelly. <laughs> and if you if you like what we're doing, uh, please consider going out and leaving us a five-star rate and a really nice review. We'd very much appreciate that. It would really help us get the word out about the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.